Whoever is listening, guys, welcome back. This is the Man with the Plan podcast, episode 55. Before we get started with our interview and returning to our Superfan series with Lynn Vietri making a return to talk about some Georgia football, it has come to my attention that someone that is a fan of the show is quite the sports broadcaster and is killing it with his YouTube channel. Sports Talk with Tyler, you guys gotta go check this guy out. This little man, this dude is the guy. If you're thinking of people in the future to look out for on CBS, calling the Super Bowl, calling the college football playoff, or calling a Panthers game, this is going to be the guy. He is great with his videos. He's actually got a YouTube channel. I'm going to drop the logo right here so you guys can see. He's got an intro. He's got a desk. He's got all the stuff. He's very professional. You guys got to check this person out. He is a stud. He's going to keep getting better and better. It's important that... We bring this stuff to our sports community, especially with like this podcasting thing that I'm a part of. I love seeing these people, especially such a young age, so passionate about sports and about just their their game, football, and in general. So I really wanted to bring to attention Sports Talk with Tyler. You guys go check him out. Subscribe to his channel. Show him some love. Tell him that the man with the plan sent you. Tell him Grayson sent you. Tyler, if you're listening, hope we can catch up, bro. Hope we can get an interview on the podcast if you're up for it. And without further ado, guys, Lynn Beatry. Glad to have you in. Whoever's listening, this is the Man with the Plan podcast, episode 55. Joining us today is our returning guest for the first time in this podcast history, Lynn Beatry, part of the Superfan series. Last spring, we talked Georgia football, Kirby Smart's urgency, it's crazy to see how things have panned out. Lynn, welcome to the show. Grayson, thanks for having me again, second time. Exciting. Yeah, and I think it's crazy how last spring our conversation, and I think for today, it is completely shift in a tone. I really am just amazed how we look at that Clemson-Georgia game and how we were believing it to be this amazing shootout, and then it ended up being, we were both there. It was an electric atmosphere after covid then all of a sudden, it was a punting contest. It was defensive slugfest. What did you see from that game, and what have you seen from Georgia so far, that sheer dominance? Well, I tell you, I, I went back and I listened to, to our interview just to, to refresh my memory of what we were talking about. And, and some of our phrases, and like, you know, somebody's going to have to win in a shootout was what we were talking about. Somebody's just going to have to figure out a way to win in a shootout. And, uh, boy, couldn't have been farther from that. Uh, you know, hardly any points scored. We, we got lucky, got an interception, a pick six, scored on defense, and then the rest was even. Uh, crazy game. Didn't see that one coming. I really thought that, that there would be points going back and forth. I just was completely shocked <laughs> sitting there in that stadium, and nobody could score. It was unreal. And I think Georgia's defense has stayed the uh, course. They've been super consistent all year. They've really, really done a good job of getting the quarterback, creating turnovers. And I think you saw that with Clemson. And the it's weird how those one that one game can establish the destiny of certain teams because now Clemson's four and two. They're kind of in the middle of the ACC, looking to get back to the top. And you have Georgia, who's number one in the AP poll, looking to pretty much dominate the SEC till they play Alabama, which we all eventually believe will happen. But we're skeptical. But I really want to ask you, it's been a carousel for the quarterbacks this year. You have JT Daniels, who started that first game against Clemson. 
and has been out with what appears to be a ladder and oblique injury. Could you elaborate on that and tell us what's going on there? Well, you know, it was interesting because going back to that Clemson game, I think, you know, we were all a little bit like, you know, JT Daniels just doesn't look like JT Daniels. And first game of the season, going in, you never really know who's going to look like what. You guys are starting a, a quarterback that hasn't played much. Uh, we're starting JT Daniels, who we thought was a known commodity, and we thought we knew what we had. Um, coming out of that game, and I, I don't know if the injury occurred in the game. It's still a little bit fuzzy, um, the details, but he came out and basically got, had, a, had a lap injury, which then – led to an oblique injury. I guess he, when you're favoring something, then something else can easily get shifted or, or, or strung out. And I, I believe that's what happened. And we really haven't seen him much since. Um, it's, it, it's interesting that, um, you know, basically we're in the same spot offensively as we were last year. <laughs> this time, you know, we're going into the Florida game. Stetson Bennett looks to be our starter. I know Kirby said last night that, that both of them are going to play. Um, but definitely, I definitely did not think we were going to be here again, I'll say that. And with going to a Florida game, Florida is definitely looking weaker than they have last year. They don't have Kyle Pitts. They're rotating through quarterbacks. Anthony Richardson looks pretty good. But do you support that, like you mentioned earlier, that Kirby said both of them are going to play? Do you think for a team that's going on a national championship run, is that the right move to go with? Or do you think Stetson Bennett should just roll the all the snaps so that the receivers, the tight ends, the running backs, everybody has a set chemistry. Everybody knows who's going to be under center. <laughs> well, I think Kirby is just, he, it's a smokescreen. The narrative of that we're going to play two quarterbacks from here on out for the rest of the season, that's just coach speak. Somebody is going to end up playing the majority of the snaps of these games. I honestly think that he doesn't know how long JT Daniels will be able to play uh, with this injury into a game. Can he play half a game, a quarter? What's he going to be able to play? I think that's where he's going with this decision. Um, my opinion is that if we are going to make a run at a title, we've got to have JT Daniels in there for some capacity, most of the capacity. Don't get me wrong, Stetson Bennett is he is a he's so valued because nobody has a backup quarterback that can do what he's doing right now. I don't right. think there's a single team on in the you know the whole nation that, that has got that as a just a luxury. But I, I think we have to have a different component to go all the way. And I'll tell you this, the Florida game coming up, that's the scariest game we have left in our roster. Ooh, okay. I like that that was actually leading to the next question with the Florida game. I said besides the obvious because Georgia wins out, they win the SEC East, they're going to play Alabama. The writing's on the wall. It's been on the wall since, uh, it feels like the Clemson game, since we've established that Bryce Young's pretty pretty darn good. So, what is what is it about Florida that worries you besides the obvious rivalry? Things could potentially all come together for Florida. Maybe Dan Mullen finds his guy with Anthony Richardson. And you said that you want JT Daniels to play more snaps or all of the snaps. Is it something that he brings to the table that Stetson doesn't, or is it just that he brings more of a presence to the pocket and makes better decisions with the football? Well, I think it's a combination, but the biggest fear that I have about Florida is Florida has nothing to lose. They have nothing to play for, and they have nothing to lose. So Florida is going to bring all of the tricks, and Dan Mullen, is, is he's, I think he's kind of on the hot seat. I, I might be wrong about that, but if I, I've heard enough Florida uh, – information and i've seen enough boards of florida fans that are they're ready for him to hit the road jack 
So this is his opportunity to, you know, try. And the only thing that they can do at this point in time, in my opinion, for Florida, the only the only thing they can do to salvage their season is to beat us. So when that when that is your directive and you've got one thing left for your for the whole season, it, it is to beat Georgia. That worries me. Mm, I, yeah, and I feel like you have a team, especially with the, those rivalry games, you always have a team probably on a down year or they're not doing as well as they'd hoped. The season is saved with the fan base, with the athletic director, with the coaches, with all the board of trustees, all the donors. It's like, hey, if Florida goes 7-5, and five, well, at least we beat Georgia and took them off the national title discussion. Absolutely. Yeah. That is what is my biggest fear because Florida, I mean, we, it's no, nobody is going to say that in any way that they want to help us, not want to help us, we want to help them. We hate them. I think it, it, it boils right down to it that Florida, it, it would absolutely make their year if they could find a way to, to screw us out of the FTEs. <laughs> now, something I found interesting is as you kept talking about that quarterback rotation between Daniels, Bennett, do you see any parallels to the 2018 team or when you had Justin Fields in town? Because we did talk about Justin Fields and that whole situation we last spoke in the spring. Do you see any similarities with this Stetson Bennett, JT Daniels, QB? I don't want to call it a battle because they necessarily haven't been competing for the last couple of weeks. But are you seeing with what happened to Jacob Eason, a really talented quarterback, goes down and then Fromm has all the momentum. So they decide, hey, we're just going to roll with what works. And Eason eventually transfers. Do you see something like that happening? I really don't. I think uh, JT Daniels is our QB1. I think that he's got a, an injury that is difficult to maneuver and difficult to manage. And I think that uh, the nature of the injury has everything to do with, with how you throw the ball, how far you can throw the ball, how many times you can throw the ball. And I, I really don't think it's, it's, a, it's an East and From type of situation where you know, he's going to lose his job. I just think that we're in a situation where we just don't know how well and how much he can play at his full potential. Okay. They, uh, it really is uh, something that's been on my mind the last couple of weeks, especially as we started to set this up. I was thinking, is this this feels all too similar to a Georgia team in 2018 that went to the national title game and had that quarterback controversy that really carried them through that playoff discussion was Jake Fromm came out of nowhere because Jacob Eason was pretty darn good, and he ended up, he's he now the uh, backup for the Colts, which is crazy. Yeah, he, he was a great player. Um, circumstantially with that, though, it just ended up being that, that uh, Jake Fromm did what he needed to do and had all of those you know first-team snaps the whole time. So you kind of get into a situation where, you know, Fromm had been playing, practicing with the first team. He'd been playing with the team. And um, it, it, when you're in a situation like that, it's just kind of hard to take him out. But this is a little bit different, I believe, because I think when JT Daniels comes back at his full at his full strength and his injury has, has gone by the wayside, I, I do think he, everybody can see that he is the better quarterback. Um, and so unless I'm way off, I, I really think JT will return as our, as our quarterback when he can. And again, I don't know how long that's going to be. I don't know if he can play a quarter. And I think that's why Kirby was making, um, you know, what was letting everybody know kind of what the status is. And he said going forward to the end of the year. So it's not just a game by game thing. It's just, he's, he's looking at saying, okay, I think JT Daniels is getting better, but to what degree? And when he starts playing, is that going to, you know, is it going to move him back with his with his rehab? I don't I don't know exactly how that injury works, but that's what I'm that's what I'm getting, and that's what I'm hearing, and I think that's kind of what Dog Nation 
um, is accepting at this point. I think you hit it right on the nose with Stetson Bennett is a, a very nice luxury to have. Not many college football teams can have what I, I was saying when Stetson took over that he was one of the best backups in the nation. You had a similar situation where uh, when Trevor Lawrence went down, and this is like I'm comparing apples to oranges here, but Chase Bryce was a guy when we had Trevor Lawrence as a freshman, we as a fan base were pretty comfortable if he came in that he'd be able to win us some games should like Lawrence start to struggle or should Lawrence have an injury late in the season. That same situation we felt with DJ, I don't know if those same people would say the same thing now whenever DJ was a freshman, but... That's a discussion for another time. I want to talk about Georgia's offense and how they've significantly, it feels like they've improved each game. They've opened up the offense a little more. Stetson Bennett's making right throws, right choices. Can you elaborate on what Georgia's done specifically to improve as an offense, especially after that Clemson game where they only really put up three points and was able to get that pick six? And that's what Georgia was, what I thought Georgia was going to be. They're going to be a team that. On offense, they were going to just do what they needed to do, and their defense was going to make plays for them to win in the game. But it feels like Georgia's offense has started to pick up the load on their side, and it looks really dangerous when that all comes together. Yeah, I, I definitely think that our offense is improving every week. The, the, the crazy thing about it, Grayson, is that we are playing without probably 10 uh, players that would normally be in the game receivers uh we've now we've got a running back out it, it, it's hard to imagine what we actually would look like if if we everybody was somewhat healthy because it'd be a whole different team out there and we're doing well with Stetson Bennett and our third and fourth and fifth string receivers and you know we've got some young guys who have, have really showed up and showed out because you know they were four or five down on the depth chart now they're number one <laughs> so it's been really interesting you know we've got a kid Lab McConkey. I've never even heard of him I'll be honest with you I didn't know where he came from he shows up uh this year uh, way down on, on the depth chart obviously I think he's a redshirt freshman um and and he's catching balls I mean it, it small small frame he just not the kind of kid that you would expect is going to go out there and and do what he's done but man he's he's showing out so it's it's been strange because if you think about how teams practice you've got your first team quarterback you've got your first team receivers and that's who they practice with all season you know they i know they they go around a little bit and switch things out but generally speaking you've got your first team quarterback and he's practicing and, and getting reps with all your first teamers and none of them are there so it's been it's been an interesting act. I just as we evolve and, and people come back and players get back, it'll be interesting to see what we do. I think our offensive coordinator is is really a true genius behind the offense because he has found a way to to make things uh, work without all of these guys who we thought would be playing first string for us this year. So it's been it's been interesting, but I think we can only get better as people get back, and players get back. Right, and when George Pickens went down, I was like, "Oh no, this is a, this is not, this is a series of unfortunate luck." I think there was another one that went down, if I'm not mistaken. Was it Burton? Yes, Dominic Layla. Okay. And Burton. Well, so those two have, have been out they, for ACL tears. Um, Dominic Blaylock and, and Pickens, but then Burton, um, Rosie Jack Saint, you know, all of these other top tier guys have all been out. Wow. From the beginning. So it, it, it could look a lot different at the end of, end of the season or, you know, who knows? Maybe it looks the same. But I think the, the beauty of it is somehow we have found a way to score some points with 
you know, maybe not the, necessarily the fastest. We have Arian Smith, he's a track kid. Um, he's out. You know, he can he, he'll run right past you, and, and we just have a we need a quarterback who can throw far enough, you know, for him because he's going to pass it. Um, and he's been out, so anything can happen. It, it might work to our advantage because these teams can't really prepare as we get farther in. One of these days, Arian Smith's going to show back up on the scene. Are they going to know enough about him to prepare for him? Maybe he'll be a surprise. Yeah, that's really something that uh, is that late stretch where you have somebody come back that like provides a spark for the team. It's going to be really interesting to watch. Who has been, besides that wide receiver you mentioned earlier, has there been anybody else this year that's been a standout that you didn't really expect or expected to perform, but now that you've seen them in action, it's really surprised you? Well, we have a, a kid on offense named Brock Bowers. He's a tight end. He's a true freshman. He's out of California, Napa, California. You don't really hear of a lot of football players coming out of Napa, California. But uh, big guy shows up on the scene, and he's been unbelievable. He's been SEC Freshman Player of the Week several times, Offensive Player of the Week. Um, I didn't see him coming. Of course, no, nobody had seen him because he's a freshman, but I, I did not have any idea that, that our one of our best offensive playmakers was going to be a true freshman out of Napa, California. And honestly, there's like another guy on our defensive side, number 88, Jalen Carter. Um, he's a monster. Uh, he is so fun to watch and I, I do like defensive football always have but you you look at some of these these players on your defensive line Jalen Carter is fast he can he had uh, Arkansas play where he took out three offensive linemen and in, in one false swoop it was it was just crazy it was amazing and he's he's really really good a lot of people talk about some of our other defensive linemen Jordan Davis I mean he's a monster he's great but you check out number 88 Jalen Carter he is, he's going to be something. Yeah, they were ter- they made sure to terrorize DJ in that beginning, like the first Clemson game. <laughs> this is true. They were, uh, <laughs> we were, we had those uh, discussions, like to kind of like figure out what just, we're sitting in the car, you're reading articles, you're on Twitter, and you're just thinking, what in the world just happened? We only put up three points? And we just yeah. rationalized, our, we just told ourselves, I think it's just Georgia's defense will be fine, everything will work out. It didn't really, but uh, they're getting better. It's fine. I don't want to distract from uh, Georgia's success and talk about Clemson. You know, it, Clemson. Clemson still has a number two rated defense in the country right, right behind us. That side hasn't so, changed. You know, you, that hasn't changed. That is still going well. You're playing with a, you know, a new quarterback, and I know that everybody talks about plug and play and plug and play, and you know, we're, you lose these people and you lose – you know, your, your, your number one pick quarterback and everything should just be the same. It can't be that way. Oh, no. And I think, I think we've all gotten into this state where we think it's going to be that way because you have these five-star quarterbacks lined up behind behind the one that's, that's moving on, but it, it doesn't really work that way. Right. The loss of ETN, too, having that ground game secured for oh, three for years. Sure. It's a tough uh, – but I think what Clemson's doing is they're starting to slowly open up the playbook for DJ, and things are going to get better. It's just a matter yes. of uh, – you got to calm some of the fans who uh, expect the playoffs every year. Yeah, your your fans, um, they are they are very passionate and they do expect to be there every year. And so when you're not there every year and you see fans that are like, we expect to be here every year, you're kind of like, man, you just don't know how lucky you are to have been there this many times out of this many times, you know, and, and win it a couple oh, times yeah. in there as well. Very, very, very hard to do. But, but starting a, a new quarterback and, you know, 
new running backs and new receivers, it is just not that easy to plug and play. Yeah, and something I wanted to talk about and touch on as we uh, last couple topics here before we wrap up the show is that the SEC seems to have an identity shift because you, I think five years ago, you could say, what's the identity of the SEC? You'd say defense, physicality, running the football, not really a explosive Big 12 style of uh, play, but slowly and slowly, and I think you certainly see this with Alabama, and I, I don't necessarily think Georgia's the explosive, but not because they can't, they can't, because they don't have to be. Do you see an identity shift in the SEC that's kind of trending towards a more, like the physicality and the players are still there, but they've shifted their identity on offense to where they're starting to throw the ball more. There's a lot more points scored. You take teams like Ole Miss and Tennessee who scored. It was 42-39. If you had showed that to a score, a score to somebody with those two teams in 2016, you'd been like, man, what's going on with those defenses? They should be coached better. What is your thought on the SEC and how it's changed? Do you think it's for the better of the conference, or you think that there needs to be a little bit of a back in time, if you know what I mean? Well, I tell you, one of the other things I, I, I listened to us back um, from the podcast in the spring, and, and I, I said, you know, teams cannot win with defense anymore, is what I said. And and I, I do feel like there has been a monumental switch, and I think Alabama was kind of the one that really started it because he had to let go of, you know, uh, physicality and the defense, and that's how we're going to win. I think he saw with that LSU, that 2019 LSU um year really opened eyes I think to a lot of coaches a lot of fans I mean LSU never had looked like that on offense before and what they did that year was just you know their defense was good but not great but it didn't matter right because they scored so many points really didn't matter if the defense was you know above average it's going to get it done um and, and, and I would definitely say, you look at the old Misses, the Arkansas, they're all just racking up points. You know, Mississippi State. Mississippi State, you know, they score so many points every single game. And, yeah, I do think it's changing into that. But I will tell you this. I think that, you know, we talked about in the spring, you know, Kirby Smart has been reluctant to fully abandon his – defensive strategies and I think this is the first year where we've had the players to actually execute what he wants on defense and and so in in the bubble of Georgia football I'm actually I mean this opposite way of thinking is working for us right now thankfully because of our offense is shaky but having this strong defense I mean if you can't score on us all we have to do is pretty much put a couple drives together and, and get it done um so it's it's different like i would say generally speaking the sec is moving to those explosive offensive plays and and but in in the in the little bubble of georgia football right now it is all about defense and if you can't score on us then then you can't win yeah usually when i'm watching georgia games now i watch the uh, auburn game watching the kentucky game with other people saying if they get to 21 points it's over because bo nix isn't going to score like down 21 to 3 there's no way that a an Auburn-led team, an Arkansas-led team is going to be able to score that many points, not just in a like in a matter of time, just consecutively, because eventually it just gets too late. The defense gets to the quarterback so easily. I think everyone just flies to the football. I love watching it, and no one really likes watching dominance and a blowout unless you're the fan of the team that's doing the blowing out. But it is interesting and fascinating to see how a team like Georgia is stuck to that identity and really 
succeeded with it because I think that the SEC is rapidly changing. You have Tua, you had Mac Jones, you had Joe Burrow, you got Matt Corral. You have a lot of different quarterbacks that have led the charge on these explosive offenses. You had people like Sarkeesian, Kiffin. There's a lot of new faces, but Georgia remains to stick to their identity and not change who they are. And I think that's partially why they've succeeded so well. They've just decided to stay with who Georgia football is. Yeah, I do think so. And I think I attribute that a lot to Kirby because, you know, Kirby's a defensive guy. Um, I don't think he I, I don't think he will ever be able to fully go against uh, like just a strong physical playing defense. The interesting thing, though, is that if you look at the stats, we see, okay, Georgia's number one defense, Clemson's number two defense. And then you look at the individual stats of those players. There's not one Georgia player in the top 10 of any individual stats on defense. It is all of these guys are, are so good and they're all getting sack numbers and they're all getting tackles and they're, and they're just distributed kind of evenly through the entire unit. And that is something that I, I can say I, I've never seen that before that many different substituted guys coming in and making plays and it's just like you take one out and put the next one in and there's you know there's no letdown it's 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 that's interesting to me that that we can be number one and not have any stars sticking out that'll be valuable going late into the season and especially in the sec championship you got a playoff run people start to get hurt people start to get tired that just fatigue will eventually uh start to wear on some players but when you have guys that can come in and make plays for them and you don't have to worry about it saying hey this corner needs a break or hey this defensive end needs a break if we can just get this other guy in he'll make plays we don't have to worry about the def- the offense going hey Nolan Smith just went out let's pick on that side for a bit while uh, he's taking a breather and they're like hey we got this other guy that can be not just as productive but make enough plays to where the offense can't pick on him that's super valuable for a top team it is and even on defense we're missing I mean right now we're playing with a walk-on safety as our starter <laughs> so this kid is at georgia playing football and his parents are paying his way through school or you know somebody it's, it's just crazy for me to think that we we are at a situation where we have to play with a walk-on safety because we have had injuries in that secondary but again you know getting those guys back i mean i think we could get better um I think we have room to improve and, and get a little bit better, and so I'm excited to see how that looks as we get toward the end of the year as well. How's he look, by the way, that safety? He, I mean, he's a good player. Uh, he doesn't have a lot of experience playing, you know, first-team ball, but he's, you know, he's doing his job, and as soon as, as there's a scholarship available, Kirby said that he was going to get one. He, you know, he comes to work every day. He Even as a walk-on, he, I mean, he was so far down on the depth chart, he didn't think he'd ever see playing time and here you go you get you know this this safety gets injured you got two corners out this one just tore his acl and boom you're on the top so you just never know what can happen life comes at you quick sure can sure can all right to wrap up the show i want to hear what your playoff predictions are because you're not only just a georgia fan you're a really well in tune college football fan it's i love having conversations with you about teams and certain players it's very easy to get like lost in Especially when we watched that Arkansas Ole Miss game, there was so much that I was like, "Hey, it's like watching football with like my my own family." <laughs> it was nuts. It was, it was nuts. So was give really me fun. give me your top four. You don't necessarily have to do like the ESPN dramatic. Wait like thirty seconds for like the obvious <laughs> number one. The uh, for no, for my team, my top four. I have Georgia at one, just obviously. Then you have I have Cincinnati at two. Would really like to see them have a group of five uh, appearance. 
Not necessarily think they'll beat any teams in the playoffs, but it'd be nice to see new faces. Then Ohio State at three, and then I got Oklahoma at four. Do you agree with that list, and what is your top four? Yeah, I have the exact same teams on my top four. I've got Georgia number one. Um, I have I have Ohio State um, number two. I've got Cincinnati number three, and I've got Oklahoma number four. Okay. Um, that's and and I I think I mentioned this earlier to you before we got on, but I I hate to put a top four um, teams in if I haven't actually seen them play, and cause the eye test really means a lot to me. Um, and I, I I can honestly say I have not seen two of these four play, so I'm I'm kind of going a little bit blindly into it. But um, but but there's a big difference between. You know, Georgia being 6-0 and this year and Georgia being 6-0 and last year, just prior to some of these games being played, I mean, the eye test is completely different for me. And you probably say the same thing about Clemson. You think, you know, a Clemson with one record this year and then a Clemson with the same record next year, it could be totally just the way they look and right. the way you, how good you think they are. So I'm going blindly on that, but I do have the same four teams in my top four. Right, and I've had the chance to be able to watch all these teams play because we are uh, not shameless plug running cover two. Go subscribe at Tiger Vision. <laughs> But we uh, have been able to watch Cincinnati before Clemson games when they played Notre Dame. Their defense looks really good. Ohio State's improved each game. I've watched them against Minnesota and thought, oh, no, this is not good. And then Oregon, I was even more panicking. But at the same time, I was a little bit happy. Sorry, Ohio State. And then Oklahoma with Caleb Williams and Spencer Rattler. That's been fun to watch with that Texas game. So a lot of it's interesting this year because we have so many new faces and I don't think it'll be the same old. And well, obviously, for one, it'll be no, they probably won't be a Clemson team. There there won't. There won't be uh, this guaranteed slot in at number one and two where you can just put Alabama and Clemson in there and say, hey, Mm -hmm. that's the one and two. The rest of you guys figure it out. This year is interesting. It's wide open. There's more teams. I love that for college football. I guess this adds one more question. Do you think this is good for the CFP, especially as they start to have that 12-team playoff conversation, the more new teams that are able to represent their conferences, their geographical areas, I think that's really good for college football as a whole. It's great for college football. Um, the, the joy of college football used to be that everybody was involved, the whole country was involved, um, everywhere from USC out west to Oregon to all these teams, and kind of it, it just it was a lot more interesting when it just wasn't so dialed into to the, the top spots um and it's just going to be much better for college football when we get a system that is inclusive of more teams not to say that you know you're going to still have you might still have the same four or five or six teams at the top but everybody is going to get a shot and a lot of times it's just about you know the hope that you have a, a chance right and you can in, in any game anything can happen anything can happen we've seen it we know it but oh, generally yeah. speaking i think we we exclude a lot of really fun fans by just having you know a, a top four i think it's going to be a lot of fun when we add some of these other teams in and and go to a 12 or 10 or whatever they end up deciding to do i think it's going to be a great time really cannot wait all right guys that wraps up our show today our interview with our georgia super fan once again lynn lynn Vietri. Do you have anything you want to say before we end the show? Um, no, thanks for having me. It's been a lot of fun. I'm looking forward to the rest of the football season, as I know you are. And uh, go dogs! <laughs> All right, guys, this was our interview with Lynn Vietri. Subscribe for more or leave a five-star review to let us know that you enjoy what you're listening to. This is the Man with the Plan podcast, episode 55. 
Stay safe, take care, and have a great weekend.